All right, appreciate you guys. Good to be here. Let's get started. We're going to have a business meeting here in a little bit and try to get you out of here. John 9, if you're looking for the passage tonight. Uh, I was looking over some cool things to talk about, like Lyle has been talking about the last few weeks, but uh, I got stuck this week on, a, on this, and uh, so it's where we're going to go. And as it turned out, it kind of fits. We, somebody's already been discussing some of this with me tonight, so we're in good shape. Uh, but being John, John 9... Uh, last few weeks, I had seen some reports coming out from Southern Baptists in different places, and and the statistics say that uh, that church attendance is down, denominationalism is down in numbers, baptisms is down in numbers. Really, churches, Christian churches as a whole across the country are down. And I saw a thing here from Barna a while back. It's probably still pretty pretty active. It's like 80% of our young people who grow up in church and school fall away from church when they leave home and go to college. And I got to thinking about that. And when you read the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given me, and I send you. And if we're sent out in the world with all authority, why are we losing this battle? You know, why aren't we more effective? And I'm not beating us up. And I'm, and, and I'm talking about us, I'm talking about us as individuals, I'm talking about FBC, I'm talking about Southern Baptists as a whole, I'm talking about the Christian community across America as a whole. And, and so I think we have to ask the question, why are we losing that battle? Y'all remember a commercial, I don't know, it's been 10 or 15 years, I guess, you'd hear this voice singing and then a vase would, would break or a glass would break and the... Uh, the caption would be, is it live or is it what? Memorex. What was the gist of that commercial? What was the gist of it? What was it trying to portray? Well, it, it, but it was, it was, but it was advertising the tape. But what it was saying is the tape is so good, it can fool you into thinking it's the real thing. And I want to play off of that uh, a little bit tonight and about uh, looking at it. Is it a valid question to ask of across the board of the Christian community today, are we real or are we just pretending to be the real thing? And, I, and again, I, I don't mean to be negative there. I'm not trying to be. But are we the real thing? When people look at us, do they see the real thing or are they seeing the memorex? Are they seeing something we've developed that looks, sounds, and wears like the real thing but is ineffective because we have to face the fact we are being ineffective at reaching society today, even, even in our own churches with our own, with our own children. And so I think it's a valid question. And I think one of the problems, you think about this, you look across the Christian community today as a whole. There are so many variations of what it means to be a Christian. So many different beliefs, so many different practices. Mormons claim Christianity. Jehovah's Witness claim Christianity. Lyle's going to do a sermon here in a week or two on Rob Bell's new book. He really doesn't come out and say they're hitting the hell, but he says everybody's going to heaven. He's a, quote, Christian, active Christian leader in a large church today. Is it any wonder the lost world looks at us and goes, what are y'all talking about? If you think about how much is going on out there in the name of Christianity and how confusing that can be, because we've created all these different variables to what it means to be Christian. And it's almost today where you need to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, because saying you're a Christian can mean about anything. And, and not, again, not being so negative about it, but it's, it's, just, it's just the nature of who we come, 
have come to. And so we'll say, well, it's, it's the sin, it's, it's Satan, it, you know, the world's getting worse, people are getting worse. Uh, there's a lot of things that contribute to that, and you know some of that's true. But if we ever thought about spinning that mirror around and just taking a real good hard look at ourselves and saying, is it possible that we're at least part of that problem? Is it possible that, that some of that demise is because of who we aren't or who we have, have stopped being? It's kind of like if you ever talk to a consultant and they, a company will call them in and say, come in and tell us what we can do better. And they walk through the door and start writing stuff down. And the owners will always say this, why didn't I see that? Why didn't they see it? Because they see it every day. And, they, and, and you get used to it. And you don't see where you're not functioning. You don't see where you're not getting things done. So I think we have to take a good hard look at ourselves and who we are as believers. And I want to talk about some authenticity in our faith here in just a minute is where I'm going with this passage in John 9 to look at that. So if we ask ourselves this question, as believers, as a church, as a denomination, when a lost person looks at me, us, church, whatever, what do they see? Do they see a truly born-again believer, a God-loving, a God-fearing, a spirit-filled person, a person who is happy, a person who is confident, a person who has hope, a person who's living life full and joyous, a person who's loving, who's giving, who's contributing? Do they see... Jesus is basically, isn't that the command us for, him to see, for them to see us and him? Do they see that? Do they see a Christian, a real, authentic Christian life in action? Or do they see, at least in partiality, an, audio, an audible version of it? We, we say it. We talk it. We say, I am a believer. I am a Christian. But when they see us in action, does it match up? And we have to ask ourselves that question if we're going to be honest about the fact that that. We're going backwards in this in this battle for the salvation of lost souls when when we when we look across the board at that. Or do they see people living like God? Do they see people doing what they want to? Uh, honoring Christ? Or do they see people who say that but live like the rest of the world? Do they see someone beside them who says, I'm a believer, and yet this guy watches you day in and day out? And you're just as bad as they are in a lot of ways, or not as good as they are in a lot of ways. So again, some of the things we have to ask them, are we real, or are we that Memorex version? And, and unintentionally a lot of times, but have we gotten to that, you know, that point? Tough questions we have to ask ourselves, but I think we have to be honest and say, let me make sure I'm not part of the problem. And that has to start with the individuals, and then it has, to, it has to branch out through the church, through the community, through the denomination, and through everything that we are, we're trying to do. Far too much of the Christian community today is weak and ineffective. I mean, obvious. When you've got 85% of your churches in this nation, Christian churches, plateaued or declining, we're being ineffective. And, and so there has to be an answer there for what we're doing. And, and there's some basic reasons, and I'm not going to get into a lot of these, but one of the things is I think we have, we have created a faith that looks good, that wears good, that's comfortable, and we've kind of filed off the rough edges of that where it hurts. It's, it's almost kind of we've built this neat little buffet and, and we offer people to take what they need and we leave those tough things. And again, that's happened over a period of time. I don't think we've come out. 
But what we've done, we, we, we've rendered ourselves ineffective at presenting the true, authentic gospel to someone who needs it. Because the lost world looks at us and they talk to 20 different people who come under the banner of Christianity and they get 20 different theories about Jesus, about living the Christian life, about what it means to be saved, about how you get saved. And, and, and that's the fallacy, I think, that, that's hurting us out here today when we're trying to, trying to reach people. And what it leaves is a lot of people lost. I think there's a world full of people looking for hope and looking for something. And I think there's a world full of people looking at the church. They want to know really what it means. They just can't find a place where they can get a good, solid description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and get it out of one person after the next, after the next, after the next, and watch those people and go. Now, that's what I'm looking for there because they say they are, they live like they are, and they all do it the same. And, and so that's, that's one of the things that, that I think is hurting. So where do we go from here? <clears throat> what's real? What's authentic? How do we, how do we rationalize in that and, and figure that out? Are there any spiritual guidelines? I think there are. I'm just reading this. I love this passage in John 9. And it's about Jesus dealing with a man that was blind from birth. And I just kind of got this together this week and just, just pulled some points out of here that I just I thought were applicable. Because you have Jesus dealing with a man that was blind from birth and he's dealing with the Pharisees who are ultimately religious, who've got all the answers and no faith. And you see this battle going on and it really fits right in, I think, what we're talking about a lot of times when we're trying to, trying to get a handle on this. So 9, 1 through 38. And I'm going to read, I'm going to skip around and not read the whole passage to you, but first six or seven verses. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. There's a whole other sermon there on, 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 on God causing things like that. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, marched in the pool of Siloam. And that means, that's a word that means sent in that capacity there. So the man went and marched and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't it the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And where is this man, they asked. And he said, I don't know. Then on over in verse 24, skip over a little bit, because he gets into an argument. The Pharisees, now they get involved in this because Jesus has performed a miracle. And so they're not buying this because he's not who they think they are. But then in verse 24, and the second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And this, I love his reply. I, I laugh every time I read this. And he said, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Now here's a man that don't really understand if everything's going on yet. But he just knows he encountered someone who has changed his life already. Now his greatest need was salvation. His, his ultimate need at that point was sight. So you watch him go through this process here. And then he said, then they asked him... <clears throat> What did he do to you? 
how did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already and you do not listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple. We are a disciple of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And that was kind of just a, a shot at the Pharisees there because he knew they knew. You know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one you're speaking with. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Looking through that passage of Scripture there, I think there's, there's four quick little things that we can point out that help us authenticate who we are as believers and authenticate what we are about and authenticate the gospel that we take to other people to make sure that when we witness to someone or we introduce them to Christ that they meet these these, these particulars that we need, that they need to meet to be a, be a legitimate believer, to, to find that saving grace in Christ. And the first one is we find in verse, in really one through thick, but the first one is an authentic encounter with Christ will always be initiated by God. We can't get to God. Now, now I'm not talking about Calvinism here. Y'all know I'm a free wielder. I'm not talking about that we're helpless and God has to pick us out. But until the Holy Spirit comes in and enlightens our heart and starts to enlighten our mind and starts to pull on us, we're, we're dead. Romans 6:11 said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. We're just like this blind man. We're helpless. Blindness in that day reduced him to doing one thing. What? He was a beggar. He depended totally on someone else for his survival. His only, his only aspiration every day was to survive. No hope, no place to go, no way out, nothing to do. In our sin, deadness in our sin, we're the same way. It's a, it's a perfect picture of the same thing. Because we cannot go to God. We don't get up some morning and say, we're going to just go get saved today. We don't go down front and get saved because Grandmama's crying over us every time we have a service. God has to work in the heart. God has to be in charge of pulling and drawing us in. And, and, and so this man here, was he was the same way. He was helpless. Jesus knew where he was. I mean, they knew who he was here because they said he was blind from birth. But Jesus went to him. He met him where he was. And, and that's the way it happens with all of us when we, when we look through this. He, and as a matter of fact, he found him twice. He found him in verse 6, and then over in verse 35, he went and found him again when they had thrown him out of the temple. So Jesus was in a process of, of getting this man to salvation and this man didn't have to look for Jesus. As a matter of fact, he wasn't sure who Jesus was yet, if you read through the passage. But Jesus worked that process. And as long as he was receptive, if he had told him to go and wash in that first verse and he had refused to go wash, that would have been the same as just rejecting. But he, even though he didn't know it, he did. So an authentic encounter always begins with Christ. God has to initiate Someone who has been truly, authentically saved can share that moment with you. They can tell you, 
I told somebody here, my brother was took down a church aisle when he was 9 or 10 years old. And he got baptized in the same creek I did on the same day. And he's still lost. That's what happens when God's not involved in the process. And so that's some of the things we have to be careful about. But just a real good example of that. Our second thing we look at, God has to initiate the process. An authentic encounter with Christ is always personal and face-to-face. Nobody can stand in for you. Your mama can't get you saved. I can't get my brother saved. You can't send the proxy to vote for you. You can't send your attorney to negotiate spiritual terms. It's you and God. There's no way out of that. And so we see it in this process here. Look at this. In 1 through 5, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is talking about the man. Something interesting in there, too, I'll point out we'll catch later. The disciples had been with Jesus a good while now, and he had healed numerous people. And when they saw the man, they didn't ask Jesus to heal him. They said, who sinned, him or his parents? Isn't it funny that they were more interested in the theological argument than there was meeting the need? Might be some of the problem we're looking at in the church today. But verses 1 through 5, he's talking about the man. In verse 6, it gets personal. Because that's when he put the mud on his eyes and he said he told him to go and wash in the pool. That's one-on-one. That's Jesus meeting him. That's Jesus starting the process. And that's Jesus laying it in his hands and saying, now, how are you going to respond to this process? And so, and then again, over, in, on, over on the backside, when he went again, he said, and told him in verses 37, 38, and asked him to believe. And he said he believed in worship. So you see, you see the faithfulness of this man to follow through in the process, but it's done one-on-one with Christ. There's no way around that. Uh, each, you know, and each time Jesus went to him and offered him what he needed, each time that blind man had to put legs on his faith, Jesus said, go wash. Okay, he believed, but what was the next part of that process? To get up and go do it. You know, when we get to a point where in life we understand who Christ is and we say we believe, the next part of that process is to accept him, to confess that, and get busy living. So an authentic encounter is always personal and face-to-face as well. All right, third thing we look at here. An authentic encounter with Christ always demands a response from the person. Everybody does something with Jesus. Everybody. Because Jesus gives everybody that opportunity. If you don't make a choice at all, you still do something. Look, uh, kind of just pay attention to some examples in the Bible. Rich young ruler. Did he make a choice? Yes, he did. He walked away. What about King Agrippa and Paul? Almost. But he walked away. He made a choice. What about the Roman satyrian? You know, Jesus came and said, I go with you. He said, no. He said, I send my men and they send, go and I tell them to come and they come. You say the word. He accepted because he was willing to say, this is Christ and I embrace who he is. He knows who he is. Two thieves on the cross. Beautiful contrast. One accepted, one rejected. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in day in paradise. It's that simple. Zacchaeus is a good example. That kiss is not very well liked. He's up in a tree. Out of all those people, how did Jesus end up by his tree and then say, we're going to your house? He was looking for Zacchaeus. He knew. He comes to all of us that way. So everybody does something. Jesus offers himself to all people. Everybody has an opportunity. But it demands a response. So when we're looking at being in authenticity, did Jesus find us? You know, and, and, and did he demand, and did we respond to that? Was that encounter personal? Did I deal with him personally, one on one? 
or did the fellow I'm witnessing to deal with him personally one-on-one? And then was there a response to that? It has to be. And, and it doesn't mean that we understand it all in the beginning. This man didn't understand it because you go through here in verse 25 and he told him, I don't know a sinner. I don't know who he is. I just know he helped me. And so that's the process when, when you watch him working through this. And, uh, and the man chose to walk in faith. Meeting God demands a response. I mean, it does. Once that process starts, you're going you're gonna to do something. You're going to do one or the other. And, uh, and, and, and God leads us to that point, and that's the purpose of, of getting to where we are to be saved. So, uh, so again, we just we continue to flow through this process. And lastly, an authentic encounter with Christ will always result in life change. There's too many people in this world today going, I'm Christian, and life hasn't changed one bit. Nothing about them has changed. Nothing about their actions have changed. Nothing about the way they live has changed. And when you look at this process here, the blind man, what happened after this process? He could see. He believed. He was a witness for Jesus. Because two or three times in there, he said, you know, do you want to follow him? He was a witness for him. He began to learn about Jesus. His whole life was changed. He worshipped. Just look at the difference from, from when he was sitting beside that road with no hope begging in where he is now and what he's doing. And it's the same when a person is saved. Anyone is saved. You know, salvation is death to the old life, birth to the new. Second Corinthians five seventeen. What's it say? If any man is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old and the new will not mix. It cannot mix. And that's that's another way that we can look at something and say this is the authentic thing because the old is gone. And, you know, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that we're not going to backslide and sin. It doesn't mean that we can't fall away from God for a while. It doesn't mean we can't just go out and do something real stupid. But it means we can't live with it and be comfortable and peaceful. It means that the Holy Spirit will be convicted and we'll be brought to a point of dealing with it as opposed to people that it never bothers. First John 3, 6 is a passage. It talks about habitual sin in that passage, but I kind of like this verse, and you have to be careful how you use it. But First John 3, 6 says this, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Know him. Now, that's talking about habitual sin. It's not talking about the fact that we're not, we never sin again. But it's talking about people who, after, quote, a salvation experience, willfully and continually engage in sin in their lives without remorse, without an attitude of change, without a desire to change. And, and so that's some of the things that we're looking at. Life will change. It has to bring change. Because Christ is about the new life. The life we've lived up until that point is a life dead in sin. The life we live after that point should be a life that reflects Jesus every day. And so I think that's where we're breaking down in there because maybe we don't understand the, the totalness of, of where we need to be with that. And so when we look, look at the Pharisees in this, they had the knowledge, they had the training, they had the religious organization, they had the position, they had the notoriety. And Jesus said, because you see, you're blind. And because the blind man, is, because he's blind, he can see. And so, just because we happen to have this monstrous structure around us called religion, it doesn't mean that our faith is there. And that's the thing that I think we have to examine in who we are personally, 
as churches, as families, as denominations, because Christ sent us out here to reach a lost world. And there's more lost people in this world every day, and we're reaching less of them every day. And, uh, and you know, and, and you have to add, we have to ask ourselves why that's happening. Why have we created ourselves uh, a faith that's not attracting to people? And I think part of it is just the confusion of looking into it. And the other part of it is when they look at us, they're looking for something different. They're looking for something they can hang their hat on. And, and many times we tend to fall back into living just like everybody else with the struggles and the attitudes and those type things. And, uh, you know, when you read through Paul's passages, the thing you have to like about Paul is he never got over getting saved. Three times in Acts, he just breaks off and starts talking about getting saved again. But that's somebody that's in love with Jesus. And that's somebody that's excited about being a Christian, appreciative of what God done for him. And, and, you know, and his whole life was about Christ. Now, none of us are ever going to be as sold out as Paul. I mean, you know, he was almost to the far extent that he was ready to go any minute. Just go ahead and kill me and I'm going up there. But at the same time, it's a good example to say, are we... Do we represent that type of attitude as believers for what Jesus did for us personally and uh, in trying to dig into that? Far too many people call themselves Christians today and show no change to that. And I think we're at a point sometimes we don't know ourselves. And I think a lot of our intention is it's not intentional, but we've kind of created ourselves into a mediocrity in our faith, and we can't reach the world. Just, just some food for thought. As a Christian community, we are responsible for reaching the lost world around us. We have to ask ourselves these hard questions. We have to put a litmus test on it. That's all it is. That's all we're talking about today is putting a litmus test on who we are and on our faith. And we know we're saved. We know we're saved. But putting a litmus test on what we're doing as a church, as a denomination, and what we're doing on the gospel that we present to people. Do we present the gospel full and complete? Uh, do we give people the whole package? Because it's very simple. It's very short. We confuse the gospel a lot. A lot of today, it's it, people are not sure. It's 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 all roses and cake, and and never dealing with the issues. And that's not the gospel. Because when you deal with the gospel, like Christ, like they talk about in this passage, it sets you free from that stuff. And so we have to we have to get people to that point. Is our, ask ourselves this question. Is our faith active in achieving things for the Lord, or are we just 1 Corinthians 13, 1 people, which says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Is what we're doing real? Or is what we're doing just a good tape memorex version of what it means to be a Christian, but the feet never get on it, the legs never get on it, we, ne- we never get it out and get it to work? And, and I don't know. It's just because I'm just, I'm just, we're just looking at our condition and looking at who we are and, and trying to figure out a way to, to get it done. Are we, just get, are we getting it done or are we just making a lot of racket, I think, is a good interpretation of that verse. There's a lot of people in the faith world that are making a lot of racket. But I don't know if a lot of it amounts to, to security in Christ and, and growing the kingdom like it should and getting people delivered from a lot of junk that's eating us alive. So... We have to keep you know, uh, digging through that. Jesus died so we could live for him. And, and Christianity is not a part-time assignment. I think that's another problem. This is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are supposed, people are supposed to see Jesus in us when we step out into this world. 
we've got to boldly share the gospel. We've got to share the whole thing. We've got to share it complete. We've got to be not afraid of the fact that it's, it's intolerant in a nice way. John 14, 6, Jesus is the only way. If we are a Christian believer, that's the only message we have to deliver. If you're going to get saved, you're going to do it through Christ. And you're going to die to self. This old junk can't come in. You've got to be willing to put it to bed, to bury it in the grave, and you've got to be willing to accept him and change and do what he wants you to do. And, and that's, the whole, that's the whole problem that we have is getting over that hump. It, and Paul talked about it all the time, dying to self. And it, it's tough. Well, they say we put ourselves on the altar every day, but it keeps squirming off. You know, we don't like to be up there, but we have to put it up there every day. It's, it, it's a struggle till we die. All right, the litmus test. Just, just kind of, just, just to recap this, just a little bit. Just take away something to think about. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm identifying this as personal to each one of us. But this could be the church. This could be the denomination. Did Jesus meet you where you were? Who found who? He finds us. If, if we, if, if, if we got introduced to anything else, or if we come about our faith in any different, we need to be careful, because Jesus finds us. And he'll find everybody and give everybody an opportunity. That's why we have to be so diligent about witnessing. Because Christ knows where everybody is. And I think he has a time appointed to where he interacts with people in their lives and wants us to do that. Did you and do you continue to deal with him on a personal level? Is, is a relationship with Christ a personal day-to-day thing? Because that's what it's supposed to be. And that's the only way we're going to stay strong. That's the only way we're going to stay active. That's the only way we're going to win this battle. If we're dealing with him every day so he can direct our lives and so he can, he can keep empowering us and sending us where he wants us. Did you respond to him by acceptance? And we can ask that of a new believer coming in. Have you done this? Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the simplicity and beauty of the gospel. It can't get any simpler than that. But in order to be saved, you have to get to that point. You have to get somebody to that point. That's the message that we need to be taking to the world. It's not some big complicated thing. It's not rocket science. Jesus loves people, and he wants to save them. If we can get them to that point right there. They have to respond. They have to deal with him one-on-one. But we can sure hold their hand and explain it to them and get them to that position. We can't save them, but we can do that. Lastly, did you have a desire to change, and did your life begin to change after the encounter, and does it continue to change? One of the worst things we've got in our church today, we've got people that just at a certain point just shut it off. God never stops changing us. I believe that with all my heart. I don't think he ever stops pushing us, using us, developing us, And listen, as we get older, we can't do as much. That's okay. But God will redirect it. But I don't think there's ever a point where he says, okay, shift in neutral and coast. I just don't believe that. And I believe there's way too much talent and way too uh, too too many people in our churches today that God could use mightily who have coasted into neutral for some reason. He never quits working in our lives. And, and, And it's another one of those things we have to look at ourselves and be real honest and take a hard look and say, Am I doing all I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe we are. Maybe we're doing too much. That's possible too. 
But the key is to be where Jesus wants us because he's got that design perfectly. And what he's designed will work. And what he's put in place will be effective. And what he does through us will reach people for the kingdom. And that's all we're supposed to be worried about anyway when we look through this passage. Does it continue to change? Do others see Jesus in us? That's the simplest way to ask us. When I walk out of this church tonight, if I stop at the store and I talk to somebody, do they see a reflection of Christ or do they see some grumpy old dude that's had too long a day? Because they see enough of that in the world as it is. And maybe I am grumpy and maybe I did have too long of a day, but that's not an excuse to lay that on someone else, particularly if that might be a person who really needs to know the love of Christ today. And that's the thing that challenges. That's the challenge that we have to deal with. Are we the real deal? I just think that's a good, honest question that we have to ask ourselves and say, are we authentic in who we are and what we're doing? And we may very well be. We may pass that litmus test with flying colors, and that'd be great. But if, if we look at what's going on in our churches and in our faith and in our denomination, all of us know boo with the lost people, and none of us are reaching very many of them. And I... I'm not saying it's our fault, but I'm just saying I don't think that's the way God intends it to be. I, I just don't. And I don't know all the answers. I just uh, kind of rasped through this this week, but I thought that was three or four things in there that we can, we can put a handle on and kind of hold on to a little bit and, and, uh, and kind of check ourselves out occasionally and check out what we're doing, particularly as a church. But anybody, comments, close before we close the prayer, and then we'll get into the next thing here. Good deal. Thank you for being here, for listening to me.